that in the context of speaking about straining forward, like verses 12 to 14 of chapter 3, that context of straining forward for that upward calling of God in Christ Jesus, that picture of moving forward and, and looking forward and, and reaching to that goal of being citizens in heaven with that forward motion picture, the Holy Spirit also speaks to us about anxiety and about proper thinking. It's when I need to decide what I'm going to do with my life in the future. Or when I think about how faithfully I am fulfilling my calling, how faithful am I? That's when I find it the most difficult to feel at peace. We ask that question, how can I strive forward and be at peace in my heart at the same time? Well, you who are in high school, college, I'm sure you're nodding your heads, right? Uncertainty about the future, not knowing exactly what to do with that big world in front of you, just that uncertainty can be paralyzing. Even if you know what you are going to study for, it's difficult to stay focused and you find that life is full of distractions. It can make life stressful. And now, you working adults, moms and dads, you're nodding, right? The expectations and achievements of society, of family, friends, they can motivate us for a while, but it doesn't take us long and, and we, we become overwhelmed. We realize that we can't measure up to the expectations of everyone. And that's when the thought battles start whirling around in our minds. I should be further along, we think. I should know what to do with my life, what I want to do with my life. I should be more like so-and-so. I should be a better Christian. I just wish I could have peace of mind. There are a lot of people looking for peace in this world. In Philippians 4, verse 7, the Holy Spirit promises the church. And then we look at the context that when we are found in Jesus Christ and his righteousness then God will complete the work that he started in us, chapter 1, verse 6, and he will grant us that peace that passes, surpasses understanding. That is a marvelous promise for our anxious world. Those who are found in the Lord, they know that their salvation, they know that entering into eternal life that doesn't depend on our perfection, on our achievements. In fact, that's rubbish. We know that, that we're rejoicing in the Lord because he opened the way into glory. He did that for us. He did that in our place. 
And since we do not need to run to the Lord, we are set free from all those shoulds and expectations that we often set as barriers to eternal joy. Well, if chapter 3 emphasized the in the Lord part of rejoice in the Lord, chapter 4 helps us understand what that rejoicing looks like. He says again, I say rejoice. Now let's look at rejoicing. And we can start our day from the quiet of knowing that in Christ we are saved by grace alone. And so rejoicing in the Lord, we can find peace. That's the promise of our text that I proclaim to you today. The peace of God guards those who rejoice in the Lord. Allowing us to be big-hearted in our relationships, God-focused in our thoughts, and kingdom-oriented in our practice. Philippians 4, verse 4 is a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. And if it's a command, he is showing us what we can do when we are found in Jesus Christ. And so he's showing us that these, this command to rejoice isn't something that is dependent on things that are happening to us, but they are, they're something that comes from us, something we can obey. We can rejoice even when circumstances, the things that happen to us, are not favorable or are not that comfortable. It's important to know because when we first think of rejoicing, we think that it means feeling happy because of pleasures in our lives. But then when we look at our text, we see the Holy Spirit. He takes us in a different direction, and he, he brings the question to our own hearts and our own attitudes in all circumstances, and he says, how do you respond? Respond with rejoicing. And the Holy Spirit says that when you are truly rejoicing in the Lord, verse 5, you will let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The word reasonableness points to being flexible and being gracious when you interact with others. Points to humbly recognizing that it's possible for people to, to be different than you are. One person trying to capture the, the meaning of this, this, this word with a lot of different nuances he translated it as, it as being big-hearted, big-hearted. That means we're not treating people according to what we are able to, to give to them, but we are treating them based on the bottomless treasury of God's grace in Christ. So we're able to give them what Christ is able to give them, which is much more than what we are able to give them. So we have a picture of a generous person, someone who is generous with the grace of Jesus Christ. And so instead of being overly 
concerned, stressed out, impatient when we interact with others because we have our limits and we have the things that, that we like. Christians look at the greatness of the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the reasonable, courteous. We give the benefit of the doubt. We allow for weakness in others. We allow for change. We allow for, for growth. That's that reasonableness that our text is talking about. It is because of this big-heartedness that results from the doctrines of grace in Jesus Christ that discipline in the church leading to excommunication is a very long process in the church. God's grace to us makes us reasonable when we deal with others, even while we maintain the truth. Those who rejoice in the Lord, those who rejoice in the, in the breadth of His grace, they will not try to tell God what a Christian should look like, but they will be big-hearted when they see what kind of people the Lord saved in Jesus Christ. Big-heartedness comes from knowing that we have peace with God in Jesus Christ. And then it grants us peace with others that we could never attain if we were rude or impatient, or unreasonable, or selfish. Just think about the two pictures. Which attitude gives more peace? The Holy Spirit says that the reasonableness of someone who is rejoicing in the Lord ought to be known to everyone. Christians who believe in God's grace are not generally rude and inflexible people who are just reasonable sometimes in some specific situations. But rather, they are known to everyone as being big-hearted people. Anyone who is asked about your character, I can go and talk to your colleagues or your family. I can say, what, what kind of character does that person have? And, and, and when the Holy Spirit is, is working in your life, the answer will be something like, oh, that Christian is big-hearted in his interactions with others. Yes, very reasonable, very courteous, very patient with all kinds of people. It's possible when we're doused, when we're focused on the grace of God in Jesus Christ, rejoicing in the Lord. That's something that can be seen. And that's good that it can be seen, says Paul, because he says the Lord is at hand. The stakes are higher than just your own well-being, being liked by others. In order to keep our focus on the Lord and to avoid getting distracted by diversity, Paul sets this whole question of rejoicing in the Lord with big-heartedness into the context of the return of Jesus Christ. He's at hand. He's, he's about to be Revealed, There's only a curtain or a veil that separates us from the glory of heaven. He's near. And the Lord Jesus can come to judge the living and the dead at any moment. And so we live our lives. We, we see our Lord Jesus is at hand. And we have these interactions with those around us. 
then we see the urgency. You see how these words, the Lord is at hand, add to the urgency how we treat one another? The urgency of reasonableness? How they keep us focused on the important things in life? Why Paul says, come on, agree with one another on, on this vision, this kingdom focus. Big-hearted Christians do not want to let the differences from other people oppress them. They don't want to use the lives of others as a standard to judge our own lives. We cannot put pressure on our loved ones by comparing them with other wives or other husbands or other children or other parents. Big-hearted Christians take away the element of competition, allowing everyone to be who they are in the presence of Jesus Christ because the Lord is at hand. And so hiding ourselves in Jesus Christ, we can be confident that we are found in him. Never need to be afraid to meet him. In fact, we pray, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Our citizenship is in heaven, and it is to the resurrection of the, the body, the glory of Jesus Christ. That's where we're directing our thoughts. God's peace guards us by allowing us to be God-focused in our thoughts. Here's a personal question. You don't have to answer out loud, obviously. You can think in your minds. But how many of, of you, how many of us, really believe that Jesus Christ has done everything to guarantee eternal life and you want to rejoice in the Lord always, but you find that you still often feel anxious. Well, lots of us, right? Probably, probably all of us. Some of us struggle with physical imbalances that make us feel very anxious. Others of us are pressed into anxiety because of unconfessed sins that we've committed in the past, Psalm 32. Others of us are paralyzed because of uncertainty about the future. There's anxiety there. Others of us just have too many things on our plates and, and, and so many things in our minds that we can't stop thinking of that. Makes us feel anxious. And still other, others of us don't really know why we feel anxious. Well, when we are dealing with anxiety, it can be hard to read Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. What's the reaction to that, right? You think, ha, I wish, I wish it were so easy. Does the Lord really understand my anxiety? What does that command mean? You think it's something we could just turn off, and turn on? You think I want this anxiety? 
Well, we don't, do we? And if we look closely at the text, we can see that the Holy Spirit understands that anxiety very well. The word that the Holy Spirit uses for anxiety means being unduly concerned about some matter. It's very closely related to being concerned, being caring for something. Anxiety is being unduly concerned about something. And the two are very closely connected, although it's, it is good to sincerely care about our tasks or about the people around us. Anxiety is about crossing the line and becoming overly and perhaps we could say unnecessarily concerned about things that we are not actually responsible for or things that we cannot control in any way. In his instruction in Matthew 6, the Lord Jesus puts the question of anxiety into the context of basic needs of food, drink, and clothing. And so if he tells us not to worry about food, drink, and clothing, he certainly would not want us to be anxious or unduly concerned about the many things that we are often concerned about, about fulfilling our childhood dreams or what job we should get or what everybody expects us to get or keeping everybody's expectations for our lives. The Lord Jesus is focused on the basic things, food, drink, and clothing. And the next thing that he shows us is that even these very basic things are things that we need to trust in God in order to receive. He says, God knows what you need. He will give it to you. And then he tells us to change our focus. Rather than seeking after these things, like the pagans do, we avoid anxiety if we seek first the kingdom of God. For our lives are a life of rejoicing in Jesus Christ, in the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then your Father will provide all these things to you. And finally, if you look at Matthew 6, verse 31, you can see that our Lord Jesus associates a particular way of speaking with anxiety. Or anxiety is associated with speaking. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He's saying, don't, don't say those things. Although it is good to be sincerely concerned about many things in this life, it is also important that we don't waste our time worrying about the wrong things, matters that are beyond our control and responsibility and have little, a little to do anymore with the basic needs of food and drink and clothing. And so with the command to not be anxious stands the command to not continue to say. Don't keep focusing on, on can God do this? 
Don't keep the burden you feel on your shoulders. Do not keep on repeating the concerns to yourself so that they hang over you continually. That's what our Lord Jesus is saying. Do not be anxious. Do not continue to say the same breath. But, continues the apostle, if you're going to speak, speak by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, letting your requests be made known to God. The Lord understands that your anxiety is a concern, that it's being concerned, that it comes from your love for your calling and for the people around you. And then the Lord also shows us that there are limits to our responsibility and to what we control. And when we get to the line, he says, now present your requests to God. Because prayer lifts up our thoughts to God. As one clever person put it, full disclosure, I read it on a Facebook post, purple in the background with a nice writing. Anxiety is a conversation you have with yourself about things you cannot change. Prayer is a conversation you have with God about things he can change. It's very nicely put. But it's telling us that prayer is lifting our thoughts up to God. Prayer directs our attention away from ourselves and what we cannot do and toward the creator of heaven and earth. Prayer brings us into that shh principle that we heard last week in the afternoon service. God is Father Almighty. Prayer makes us say something different than what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Prayer speaks to the Lord. In prayer, we're speaking to the Lord with thanksgiving. In our prayer, Jesus Christ and his righteousness is in the center. In prayer, grace is filling our hearts and our minds. And we're speaking as a child and we can feel the comforting hand of our heavenly Father on our shoulder even as we are speaking. He has already provided us with all that we need for body and soul, for this life and forevermore. And from that place, we're, we're speaking to the Lord. We know that we are already safe in his hand. Whatever outcomes we may see in response to our requests. Prayer calms our fears because it reminds us that we are found in Christ who forgives our sins, who guides us by his spirit in this life, who will carry us to eternal glory. The Holy Spirit says this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As you're praying, as you're connecting to the work of Jesus Christ, it has a guarding function in your life. The Lord is guarding your heart with his peace. Maybe the Romans 
had it in their minds as they could hear. Maybe Paul himself could look out the, the door and see a, a guard standing beside the door of, of his cell, standing there, not allowing anything that wasn't supposed to come in, protecting Paul and making sure Paul also doesn't get out. Well, the Lord is guarding your heart with his peace. His peace is, is standing guard at your heart and, and at your, your mind. That's a, a very clear picture. And as you're, you're praying to the Lord, that peace is guarding your mind against unworthy reasoning, guarding your heart against lies that you tell yourself about how much God loves you or not. And from your perspective as a child of God, hidden in the Lord, then you can evaluate your thoughts and your feelings. Then you start to, to ask better questions. You can say, I might be thinking this or I might be feeling that, but is that what God is saying to me? Is that what Jesus Christ has obtained for me? And then God's peace guards your hearts and your minds as you rejoice in the Lord. And then there's a, a wonderful list of replacement thoughts. If I don't worry about things, what am I supposed to think of? Well, Paul tells you in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, at first sight, Perhaps, if you think like me, this might appear to be similar to the daisy chain and unicorn I'm so special list that some counselors encourage clients to deceive themselves with. But as you look closer, you realize that this text is still found of the con in the context of rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Think about these things and then we see that our Lord Jesus is everything on this list. He is true. He is honorable. He is just. He is pure. And, and the righteousness of Jesus Christ begins to fill our hearts and our minds. And so this is a special way for Paul to urge us to remember Christ's righteousness. He opens the door to a new life where we can live with different perspectives, with different thoughts, with different priorities, with loftier goals as we imitate Christ in his humility. It's good to think of too when we think about our calling in this life, the upward call. Now we go back to the high school and the college students. What do I want to do? And, and then have this in your mind. Thinking about what is true keeps us connected to the scriptures about what is honorable ensures that we recognize the dignity of others. About what is just keeps us in line with the Ten Commandments. Thinking about what is pure allows us for healthy friendships and interactions with those around us, also those of the other sex, gender. We rejoice in the Lord when we recognize all the blessings that he has restored to us through his, his work by thinking about what is lovely and commendable 
That's a great way to, what should I do in my life? Well, think about what is lovely. Think about what is commendable. And as we focus on Christ, we will not hide ourselves in a religious convent, but we will be actively engaged in the arts, in the sciences, that which is pleasing, using our creative minds to decrease suffering. Rejoicing in the Lord means rejoicing in excellence and in work that is worthy of praise as we imitate Christ in his righteous obedience so that rather than doing our work in a half-hearted or even lazy way, Christians with their minds in the Lord rejoicing in him will pursue the highest standards as they desire to use their bodies and minds and hearts to the fullest, not only in their work and school, but also at home. Basically, when the Holy Spirit urges us to think about such things, when he gives us these replacement thoughts, he is showing us how to celebrate all that we have in Jesus Christ. He tells us to focus our attention of the, on the kingdom first of all. Philippians 4, verse 9, Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You can see how we've, we've moved from our heart to our minds and also now to our actions, to our practice. The word practice means, means trying things out, moving from, from thinking to motion, from meditation to motion. Since Paul has already explained a lot of the things that characterize his ministry in the earlier chapters of this letter, we know what he's talking about when he says, imitate me. Not only that, but we can study the apostles' life from the book of Acts and from other letters we, he wrote. And his own life came to, to mind when he got to this part of the letter because it was a life that was completely kingdom-oriented. He was pouring himself out for the kingdom of God. His focus was on the advance of the gospel. As a servant of Jesus Christ, and now as I go through the list, you can remember all that we heard in Philippians. Apostle Paul was concerned about the advance of the gospel of grace, both within the hearts and lives of the members of the church who were called to live worthy of the gospel, and also that the name of Jesus Christ was known in other places. He said, let your love abound more and more. Be partners with God's servants in the spread of the gospel. Imitate the humility of Christ. and Rejoice in the Lord with all reasonableness. Not everyone is called to be a missionary like Paul. Paul's not commending one activity over another activity, but he is talking about being a certain person. And there are a myriad of ways that we can serve the Lord and still imitate Paul. Practice these things means forming Christian character that permeates your calling, that the Lord you are rejoicing in is evident in the way that you speak and in the activities that you are doing. Have the same mind as Paul. Have the same priorities in your life. Have the same goal. 
Act like the person you have become in Christ Jesus. It's the command. Practice these things. All the great things of the kingdom, then they can be done in your own home, in your own church, your own school. Perhaps that's even the hardest place to do them. We do not need to leave the, the comfort, the safety of our home to be faithful and active Christians. We do not need to have a dynamic, amazing, cutting-edge job to be valuable in the kingdom of God. Practice these things means be this person rejoicing in the Lord. We do not need to, to literally be striving forward into new territory to be faithful to that upward call of God, but we are faithful where we are, in the Lord, hidden in Him. And so active, living members are living each day in whatever task and calling that they have, rejoicing in the Lord, in the riches they already have in the Lord. We're not running to the Lord, for we already are in Him. We are striving with Him, holding us, purifying us, encouraging us. And Paul ends this section by reminding us that when we practice these things, you can see it. And the God of peace will be with you. That's what we're looking for. And there comes that word peace again. The state of being that we are all longing for. You see, when the Holy Spirit removes the desperation to have what we want in a certain way by our own strength, and then instead he leads us in prayer to God and, and focused on his kingdom, then the God of peace is with us. Then we're in his work, and there's peace there. We don't have to please everyone else. There's an audience of one. We don't have to be busy judging and condemning all those around us, comparing ourselves to them and seeing how they rate or how we rate. We can be big-hearted. We don't have to remain anxious. We don't have to control everything. And when we put the truth of God's work for us and Jesus Christ into practice, we can still have peace. No wonder that Paul moves on to talk about contentedness in the next section. We're made full in Christ Jesus so that we can be reasonable. We can present our requests to God. We can think about whatever is excellent. We can continue to grow spiritually in that peace of God. And the God of peace will be with us. Amen. Hymn 44 is a hymn that calls us, or that we together 